This episode includes explicit language and features themes surrounding domestic violence, bestiality, pornography, and sexual abuse. Some listeners may find this content distressing. Listener's discretion is advised. Today we speak with Rochelle Williams-Taylor, a proud Ngemba Marawari woman. Rochelle has been involved in several exhibitions. One of her most memorable experiences was telling her story at the UN Commission on the Status of Women. Our conversation with Rochelle covers her life, her identity, and her ambition to advocate and empower CSA victim survivors. She provides insight into her journey as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Rochelle is kind, raw, and unapologetically herself. It's time to talk lived experience. So my childhood was um, horrendous. It was, you wouldn't even believe it. You know, I lived the experience. Like I said, my mother um, was in a, in a bad way with, um, you know, alcohol and drugs and she had many men partners that used to come and visit and stay and um, they'd always get high or drunk. Um, there was never any food around. I'd have to steal food. Um, and with these men, when mum was passed out, they used to go to me. So I tried everything as a child. I used to, um, I had no, no door on my bedroom, so it was easy access. So I did things like, oh, sleep on the lounge because it was the lounge room and nothing will happen to me there. You know, Mm -hmm. it's in the middle of the house. But that was untrue. Um, I still used to be abused and attached in the lounge room. And I remember, like, one, one particular night I was there and I was this fucking asshole man, um, one of mum's boyfriends that used to be called the Colonel because he looked like Colonel Sanders. I won't eat KFC ever. Um, and, you know, what? I just laid there and I didn't know what to do anymore. I just couldn't protect myself, so... I actually leave my body, a lot of dissociation. Mm. And I remember rising out of my body as an 11-year-old girl looking down at what was happening to me. Um, So I didn't feel it but I could see it. And when it stopped, I just went into the bathroom and that's when I used to, you know, used to see if I could get steel wool, scourers, Ajax, powder at the time and um, I'd scrub and I'd wash myself Um, and I thought, you know, just to clean, clean the shit off, clean the smell off. I used to do that but then it got pretty intense and, you know, I used to, I don't know if it was just scrubbing or trying to scrub me off, off the planet. I used to do it so much, so it's a lot of damage to me. That's how I used to cope. Um, and, and, you know, we used to have a dog. Mum loved animals um, more than people. Mm-hmm. And we had a dog and we had two Polish boarders that used to live out the back in like a granny flat. Right. And 
I remember thinking, where can I hide now? So I used to go down the back steps and hide in the laundry. You know, I don't know if you know, like the two big old cement tubs years ago that everyone used to have in their laundry, and I used to hide underneath them with the dog, and I thought it was a safe place, and I used to watch the cockroaches, I used to pretend, and I watched the cockroaches turn into butterflies, and I think that's me one day. I'm going to be like that. But anyway, this particular day, this fucking asshole Polish prick came into the laundry with a knife and he grabbed the dog and he said, if I don't do what he said, he was going to, like, kill the dog. So I had to perform. This man took photos as well of, like, you know, the the horrible little acts that I, I was dragged into doing. Um, and I'm like, fuck, wait, save me, someone, you know, anyone, save me. Um, but anyway, that, that continued to happen and the only thing growing up is I feared that those photos would come out somewhere and that was, that was always my worry. Um, but thank goodness I haven't seen anything. Um, at all, so other things happen. Like, you know, I went for a ride with, with a friend on my bike and, and she actually got grabbed by a man and he touched her breast and we were, we were about 11. Um, and she, like, pulled away and he said to her, I'll give you $5 if you let me play with them. And she said no and tried to pedal away. And um, he said, I just touch it for free. I'm giving you $5. And I'm looking at him going, fucking give it to me. Yeah, go for it, you know. I want some money. I want to buy some food. But no, because I guess I looked unwanted and and trashy and he he didn't want to touch me. I thought, God, you know, can't even get money for that. So I used to steal a lot of money from mum to survive. So, yeah, I used to steal lots of money and... There were times when, um, like, you know, okay, so there was times even with my brother, I've got an older brother who I love dearly, um, he's pretty messed up, but understandably, um, so he actually doesn't even live in the country, he won't live in the country. But there was a particular evening where mum was just off her guts on whatever, and she came with, uh, came at us, my brother and I, with like an axe. And she started slamming the axe into the walls right near our heads. And um, there was just for a slight moment, probably about three seconds, mum and I just locked eyes and, and I could see she had some sort of clarity come to her and um, for three seconds... She was like, what the fuck am I doing? And then she stopped but started again. So my brother and I ran into his room and he put the dressing table behind the door so she couldn't get in and we jumped out the window and we went to my father's place only to be sent back the next day. They, they, they just don't want to know at all. So going to school, because I had all this shit going on, I was a perfect student, 
I didn't want mm. any attention brought to me. However, you could just tell by the way like, I had no shampoo or, uh, you know, like no deodorant. So I used to put toilet paper down for pads and all that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, I had none of that. Um, so I guess like as an outsider, looking back now as an outsider looking into my life, I'm thinking why didn't the teachers do something? Mm. You know, like there was a time when I broke my arm at school. See that? Yeah. Scars. And oh, I had wow. three pins. So they had to, we had no phone, so the teacher had to go out to the house and get my mother. So the lawns are like really high, nothing was mowed. We had old calves in the front yard, really derelict type house, and I was so embarrassed. I couldn't give a shit about my arm. I just didn't want them to go to get my mother. Anyway, they went and got her. She was off her fucking head. It was like 10 in the morning. Mm. She was like gone already. Um, so they got her, brought her to the school, and, you know, she went to the hospital with me. But she was so drunk and I had to have an operation on my arm that they wouldn't even let her sign the permission slip. But it was the best time. I was in clean sheets. Yeah. I got to have a shower in peace. I've got food brought to me. Mm. It was excellent. I loved it. I just loved it. Um, didn't love the army, but loved getting food and, and but the worst thing was like mum would turn up with the boyfriends or whoever pissed or stoned and oh, it was just really embarrassing as a child. It was horrible. I really hated it. So I actually um my brother didn't hang around a lot. He always used to be at friends' houses or his girlfriend's house. But he, he's a great brother. Um, that will always defend me. He actually didn't know all about the sexual abuse, the right. bestiality and um, the pornography. Yeah. He knew about, like, the physical, emotional, spiritual stuff. He was quite an angry man, yeah. understandably, you know, which I was too. I was quite angry and I've had lots and lots of therapy from the age of oh, probably 30, so I've had, like, a good 25 years of therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll do therapy and recovery until the day I die. I think that's really important. But the thing is, yes, this, this subject is taboo, but it needs to be out there. Yeah. People have to realise that this shit still happens. Yeah. Like right now it's happening. We sit here right now and someone's getting yeah. abused, raped, assaulted, whatever. Um, so easy for us to turn a blind eye. Children don't deserve that. No. Children deserve to be loved. Don't have fucking kids, you know. Mm. And all this, all those experiences that you had, how do you think that's impacted you in later adulthood? Okay, so first I, I was like, I was lost. I was a lost soul for many, many years. Yeah. Just didn't know what to do. Um, I pushed everything down. Didn't tell anyone about my stories because the stuff that happened to me happened on a daily basis. Um, every day was at five. Uh, so I pushed everything down and I, I tried to become a normal sort of person um, until I became pregnant myself. And then after I gave birth to my son, um, the love, <laughs> oh, God, the love is so precious. It's just the best feeling in the world. 
and you know, can't bottle it, you can't do anything, you have to experience it. And when I held this little baby in my arms, you know, I thought, wow, this is what I was meant to do. I was put on this earth to have this boy. And I was just, just, just stare at him for hours. I still do things that are a bit weird at 29. (laughs) But um, he, um, I couldn't understand why, why, why people could do this to their own children or allow it to happen and you don't want to look after them and I would do anything for my kids. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little bit crazy, a bit too much, but um, I, I do, I would do anything for my children. Um, so that's when I focus, like, you know, fuck you. This is my truth. I'm going to stand up as a survivor, not a statistic, Yeah. and I'm going to change people's lives and I'm going to give my children the best life possible. Um, I didn't even know what to do with the baby. I had to buy a book. Ryan, my son, was brought up by a textbook because <laughs> I had no idea what to do. Um, and he's turned out wonderful. Yes. So I, I'm really, mm. really proud. So I've got a beautiful daughter as well. Um, she has a personality like me. Uh, so, but she's absolutely beautiful and um, she's a go-getter. She's a, you know, don't mess with me and strong, strong woman. Um, so I adore both of them and they're the ones that have spurred me on to keep me going. Um, I could have gone down the path and taken mm. drugs and alcohol yeah. and, you know, but I, I have chosen to break the break the cycle, the intergenerational cycle, really important. Um, and do you have conversations with your children about that? Oh, look, absolutely. My yeah. kids come to any openings of exhibitions that I may be in. Beautiful. They come to, um, well, my daughter, Simone, she comes to like any anything like uh, radio interviews, yeah. anything that I've done. Um, she's... My son's sort of like, oh, mum, come here, you know, like, oh, he's very sensitive and emotional and, and, and caring, whereas my daughter's like, yeah, fucking go get him, mum, go, go, go. go. Yeah. So it's lovely to have that balance between both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, but they're very proud of me. It sounds up. like all of the adversity and trauma that you faced as a child and just growing up has kind of fueled a, a drive and... Um, yeah, because it was shit. It was wrong, you know. Mm. I, I want to, I want to experience life and see exactly what it's like, what it, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And where do you think that drive came from in you? My grandmother, right? Definitely, my grandmother, which is mum's mum. Uh, you know, from the country, strong right. woman. Yeah. Um, she had to actually like take the kids and run because of you know white man coming in. Um, what she's gone through in life, you know, living on stations and living in tin humpies and um, that sort of stuff, you know. People think that, you know, oh, fucking abos, they know nothing, no education, all that sort of stuff. But I've actually got my great aunt Emily Hornville. She, like, translated the Marawari language into English for, wow. um, yeah, the university. Um, and there's a street named after her down in Canberra. Um, 
you know, so there, there's a lot of us. Uh, I've also actually got a cousin who was the um, Aboriginal advisor to the Prime Minister. Um, so we're not dumb. You know, we do have minds. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think I've educated my children very well. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of strong women uh, in your family. Yeah. Absolutely. The women are. Yeah, most definitely. Strong and proud. Yeah. And can, do you mind if we talk about, because obviously you have children, mm-hmm. um, the impacts of your experiences, was that, was that hard for you? No, actually the kid's father, you know, I, I chose him. Yeah. I chose him, you know, I, to, I just thought I need a decent man. Yeah. And I chose him specifically to have children with. Because <laughs> um, I wanted that good genes in there as well, you know, yeah, not any yeah, addictive shit that I might have. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and uh, he, he's yeah, great man, really good. Um, he didn't know anything about my background though. And then you know, after having the kids, and it all came out, and I had to go mm. into rehab a few times. Yeah. Um, and he did work as well around how it affected him and. The family, yeah, and um, yeah, he's still by me all this time, but he was never around because he's in the navy, right? Never around, so unfortunately, and um, so I met someone else, um, who was also a sailor, but a yachtsman, you know, a bit of a wanker, mm. um, and anyway, he he. Did things like um, I'd come home from work and he'd be sitting on the edge of the bed looking out the window with a belt around his neck, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I'd go, what are you doing? Um, and, and he'd do things like go out to the car at 11.30 at night and ring the house phone to wake me up. <laughs> like, just crazy things. Mm-hmm. And then I'd come home and he'd be in an empty bath, naked, with a towel wrapped around his face. I just didn't get it. Yeah. And then I was cleaning and um, under the bed I saw all this pornography mm. and I found, um, you know, those little bottle, bottles of booze, you know, those little ones that you yeah. Have? Mm. yeah. All of them um, that is stolen from work under there. I found women's bras, women's undies, um, that must Things have been like really triggering um, for you as well, I could imagine. Well, what triggered me actually, what really made me anger, he, he said to me, um, as my husband, it's it's his right to have sex with me. So I said, fuck off, you know. No, I couldn't stand having sex with him. So you were okay with setting in your boundaries? Oh, yeah, that, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah no way, you can't, uh, I'll belt the shit out of you, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. But then also going from, um, you said your first marriage was quite supportive. supportive. Yeah. It must have been difficult going from that to a, a more um, kind of complex Well, I didn't know at situation. the time. No, I didn't know. See? Right. Just, yeah. You don't, I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, but it was ugly inside and out. So I'm glad I'm away from that. Mm. And it's next part. Yeah. Also, going back to um, your first marriage, mm-hmm. you said that um, 
you kind of didn't disclose your story with him until that's right until I went to rehab um and I guess like for me it's because it's my life and my lived experience um I didn't know how people will react so this poor man had no idea you know I was married to him so I don't know quite a few years before I found out um yeah so I guess it was really hard for him yeah as well it must have been hard for you as well to suppress all of that. Well, I didn't know any different. So I, I guess I suppressed it with anger. I really held a lot of things down with that and very cold. So I had lots of walls up, you know, not boundaries but walls. Mm. Um, people were scared of me. Uh, as I say, as it is, yeah, I'm quite a blunt person, just, you know, don't beat around the bush, just say it. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've, I've scared off a lot of people. I've lost a lot of friends when they found out what's happened to me because a lot of people think, ooh, ooh, I don't want to go near her or I might catch something or, um, yeah, so I found that with family and friends. It's just a lot of people that actually wipe me. But I don't care. I really don't care because it shows me who's real. Mm. Um yeah. Yeah, so, so it kind of filters out the yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the people, the fake are, yeah. people. Yeah, how have you had so much resilience and um, been able to cope with such like adverse situations? Because you describe yourself, well, you just do describe yourself as a a scary person, mm. really. But you're not now. You're, I think. Oh, I still very, can be. You can be. <laughs> well, you come off <laughs> as a very warm and inviting person to talk to and well I really want to like you know get my story out there to to get other women to gain something from it you know maybe a little bit of strength and think oh if Rochelle can do that you know like I might do some baby steps and and get on that path and you know see what they can get out of it and how have you gotten there did you because you said you were um in therapy from 30 years oh, I'm still in therapy and yes. yeah um, do you think that's impacted? Absolutely yeah. helped. Yeah. Absolutely helped. I didn't know. I had so much pain um, that I didn't know what to do with myself anymore. Yeah. I, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. So therapy is amazing. Mm. Mm. Is there anything that you're still struggling with now, today? Yes. I've actually been fortunate enough. I was sponsored by someone in Australia to go over to New York to the UN and share my story, which was amazing. Um, And I'm in an exhibition called Silent Tears, which has been in 52 countries so far. Um, And I've just, what angers me is, you know, I'm part of this exhibition and we put up beautiful displays and videos and stories. And um, some people, it's too much for them. You know, I've had my um, my exhibition stuff go down a corridor mm. and, and be hung there. We're like, no, we need to go down that corridor, but, you know, but they said they've hung it. Mm. Um, I've even been speaking at different events and I've had people get up and walk out um, and complain then. Oh, it's horrible. And, but the thing is we always give them warnings and we ha- always have, like, counsellors there or, and information on how to get reach out and get some help. So, you know, everything's covered. The door's always open. You can get up and leave. But, um, yeah, so I find that very difficult 
because um, like my daughter says, you know, it didn't happen to them, mum, it happened to you, so what's their problem? Um, yeah, that that's what really bugs me, that pisses me off. If this whole feeling of people being uncomfortable talking to, about such a taboo topic, mm. if that wasn't there anymore and people were happy to talk about it and there was conversations happening, what would that look like for survivors? Validation. Yeah. Um, and you're heard, which is so important. Yeah. Um, not just be listened to, but to be actually heard. Mm. And then discussion could be made all around this and what we can do. Mm. What for other women, you know, what what needs to be done. Um, I've also I've noticed that there are women out there that are willing to help and support others. However, they haven't lived the experience. Mm. Right. Um, and they talk about textbook stuff. What would fix the problem? Um, it's not about fixing the problem. It's about supporting the women mm. and helping them with their lives because. I, I, you know, I have issues still. So, yeah, that, that, I think that's really important. So you can put everything on the table and, and discuss. But you know what you do? With the professional so-called people that want to help, which is fantastic, um, I've said to them, ask them what they want. Ask the children what they need. You know, like, don't just think, oh, okay, well, we'll do this for them, we'll do that for them. No, mm. ask them. No one ever asked me and my brother what mm. we needed. So really using that the um, survivor's expertise and, and their lived experience. Well, that's like, you know, in such an early stage, there's still victims, I believe, you know, they mm. haven't been able to get up that step yet. So ask the victims. So important. Yeah. So we didn't even have, like, a toothbrush. So oh, we had, like, one for all of us. We never used toothpaste. We had, like, we used salt. Um, you know, like I, I would have loved sanitary items. I would have loved, um, not food, but I would have loved shampoo. I used beer for shampoo as a kid. You know, like um, I love a door. Yeah. You know, ask. Yeah. So important because how can anyone know if they're, they're not living in that moment? Like, how, how do you know? Hmm. Mm. So, yeah, if anything, if anyone can take anything away from this, is that bit, ask. When someone asks, it's like, wow, you really, do you really want to know? Like, do you really care? Oh, there's hope for me? Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, there, there, there can be some light here. Mm, really important. So it seems like you've really gained empowerment through using your voice and through, I guess, when you're talking to your support systems, saying what you need, and then you're getting that validation and what you need when people are responding to that. Is that kind of yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. 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 I think also from what you're saying is it putting kind of the power back into the survivor and kind of removing that um, the idea of the victim and Definitely. placing the idea into um, the survivor. It's a big, big step mm. and... Um, a lot of gratification mm. once you like hit that point as well. I think also when you're looking at it um, in a broader context for institutions and whatever it is and those support services mm. that are there to kind of help you, when you're putting the power in the survivor um, 
it kind of removes that the imbalance between what they might have had in the in the past. And, if and that makes sense. For me, I, I mean, I, I felt like um, I was a a valid person then mm. as well. You know, like yeah, which is really good. But I still try and like get that across to a lot of people now. Did you want a take-home message to the audience? Is there anything that you'd like to say in particular? Speak out. You know, what What keeps us silent could kill us. Yeah. Mm. Could kill us in many ways by uh, manifesting disease and illness in our bodies. Or uh, the only reason why I didn't kill myself is because I was too scared. Mm. Um. But yeah, yeah, I think I, I've got lots of disease and illnesses, unfortunately. Um, but I'm working on them. So speak. It's toxic to keep anything like that down. Mm-hmm. Speak to help yourself. Speak out, and to help others. You know, the more we speak out and share our stories, others will feel more comfortable and be able to share their own stories and collaborate. Like I said, and get some ideas and everything happening. And yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Can I just highlight there that you talk about that you have a lot of illness. Do you think that is because of your past experience? No, yeah, definitely. Yeah? Mm. Definitely. Yeah, so it's interconnected there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think if somebody was able to kind of step in earlier, um, it would have changed a lot? Oh, most definitely. But you know what? I'm, I'm also, it was fucked. It was shit. It was horrible. Very depressing. I, I do suffer with a lot of mental illness. Yeah. Um. But it's happened and it's turned me around and given me such an education behind all this shit that happens. And um, I'm a little bit different to other people and that can be challenging, but I like it. Yeah. Mm. And You've I like to love yourself. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Yeah. There's beauty in the difference. Mm. And what's really good, I've been able to pass this on to my children as well. You know, and I, I do things, um, you know, I do uh, lots of traditional things like smudging and different yeah. things. And, um, yeah, it's been great to be able to pass that on to the kids and and they know that what I've gone through and I've been able mm-hmm. to come out the other side. Yeah. That, um, yeah, they're proud and it's possible. And just quickly, do you think your Indigenous culture has helped you, your connection there has helped you in becoming such an empowered person now? Oh, because I've connected with spirit. Yeah. Um, and country's very different to city. Yeah. And I've been able to draw on that and, um, yeah, I think it has It's given me faith, mm. you know, in a spiritual way, not so much a godly way, mm. religious way, but a spiritual way. Yeah, yeah, and I hold on to that for spirituality. Yeah. It's beautiful to see there's so many different aspects of support you can grab onto too. Oh, look, you know, and it's great with technology, although I'm not great at it. Yeah. But I can contact your cousins up in Queensland still and they'll say, oh, Shelley, you need to go and uh, swim in some muddy water. Yeah. You know, cleanse yourself or, you know, go get some ochre or Mm. um, rub your ears. Yeah. You know, you need to do your ears things and and the belly breathing and (laughs) stuff like that, you know. Um. 
which is great. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And I don't, I'm a real lightweight when it comes to drugs. Mm. I, I'm talking about prescription yeah. drugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, even like Panadol works for me. And they'll just talk out the front, like Panadol doesn't work. I hope mm. it works for me. And I had some Valium and um, I only took a half. Oh my God, what's now for three days? So I don't like taking any heavy medication. Mm. I really don't. It, it's a last resort. Um, so that's why I do all the other things, you know, start with the belly breathing and calm down and mm. um, cup of tea, even just have a cup of tea. So when you drink, you have to breathe. You can't drink without breathing, right? Mm. So that calms you down as well, or even just sipping on water. And So I've got lots and lots and lots of tools on board um, to help me without the job. Yeah. yeah. Don't it's amazing how such like simple things like exactly. breathing can just change even like the going, course of your day. <laughs> going for a walk, you know, like when you're out and about, look out and about. You know, like I'll go for a walk just to, um, you know, daily anyway, but if I need to calm down and I really pay attention to what's going on. Like I feel the wind on my face and, you know, just feel it and what it feels like on my skin, if it feels differently, like I get right out of my head. Yeah. Um, and then when I feel the wind on my face, I look at the trees and see, you know, in the leaves, if they're blowing with the wind or, you know, just the simple, simple things in life. And I carry a book with me everywhere. If anything pisses me off, I write it down to get it out of my head straight away. It's a good strategy. Yeah, I just love it. Yeah. I just love it. it. It's such an easy, simple technique. It doesn't mm. cost anything. Yeah. Mm. The practice of mindfulness. Yeah. 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 And journaling. <laughs> yeah, it's that trial behind it. Mm. It's beautiful. All righty. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for um, talking to us and letting us hear your story. And oh, well, thank you story. for inviting me and taking an interest. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been an invaluable speaker and I think many people will appreciate your rural and authentic talk. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. Anytime. We encourage any listeners who have been affected by the content of this story to get in touch with Blue Knot Foundation Helpline, where a trauma counsellor can listen and offer support Monday to Sunday between 9am to 5pm. You can call Blue Knot Foundation on 1300 657 380 and find additional information on bluenot.org.au. If you are distressed, in crisis or in immediate need of support, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Call 000 Emergency Services if life is in danger.